and welcome to another Archon Lecture, starring uh, the two of us. I'm Jane. I'm Nero. And uh, and welcome once again to our uh, our humble classroom where we discuss the uh, the finer points of Aorizian knowledge. This week it is a a heavily abridged history of Aorizia. Yes, and I guess uh, the the planet Hydaelyn as a whole it's uh, it's got quite a history. And uh, we're going to be giving you kind of the Cliff Notes version, but before we get into that, um, probably important to note that there's going to be a lot of things that sound like they're from other Final Fantasy games. Yeah, so the thing about Final Fantasy XIV in particular, I mean, obviously, every Final Fantasy game has certain things that connect them together because they aren't actually in a shared universe, but... Names will show up like Sid and Biggs, Wedge, Jesse. Characters will will sort of recur in different roles and characterizations, but the names will be the same. Uh, the the sort of main summons like Ifrit and Garuda and Titan. They're usually in every game. Um, but the settings and plots are obviously very, very different from each other. Final Fantasy XIV is uh, an extremely self-referential game. Square loves to put Final Fantasy references in this goddamn thing all over the place. Oh yeah, it's like, in a lot of ways, uh, Final Fantasy XIV is kind of a love letter to the entirety of the series. Uh, It's got a lot of content in it that is like very deliberately like drawing on and referencing and kind of paying homage to all of these these previous things and it's really really cool i i like it a lot for instance there's an entire raid series that was released with stormblood uh that is just an extended final fantasy 12 like send up uh that's and also final fantasy tactics at the same time yeah, well, that one in particular is interesting because I believe, unlike, so most of the things in the game that are references are just references, whereas that raid series in specific, I think, is actually a canonical, like, sequel, kind of, sort or like, post-game post to it. It's it's kind of muddy. Uh, it is. It could be a direct sequel to Tactics. It's definitely not a direct sequel to Twelve. Um, because I mean, there are characters from Twelve in that raid series. Uh, Fran is from Twelve, but as with all of these, it's not actually the same character. It's just a referential Easter egg for you know, you can, if you played Final Fantasy Twelve, you can look and say, "Oh, that's Fran." And there are other characters as well. Uh, from from all sorts of various games, especially. There are a few Final Fantasies that it really heavily pulls from. I think it's like 4, 6, and... A lot of 3. A lot of 3. I think there's also a fair amount of 8 in there, and obviously 12. Yeah. So so we've got got kind of a, a, a beautiful sort of sort of stew here going with uh with all these different sort of ideas and uh 
and tributes and various things all just sort of melding together into a really interesting uh, setting. So we will not be doing an exhaustive history of the timeline of this game. For one, there are spoilers in there. Uh, oh boy, are there spoilers in there. Obviously, as you play through this game's story, you will learn more about the truth of this world and, and, and its past, which we will not be elaborating on right now. But mm. also... You know, there are lots of things that, there are lots of names and lots of ideas that aren't necessarily explored yet. And, you know, we won't, we won't be just reading dates and names at you. We'll be kind of talking about the stuff that is important to know going into this game. It's, this is not just lore vomited into your ear. Well, it's kind of that. But it's, it's a little, important. it's a little bit that. It's the important lore. It's the lore that matters. Yes, it's the lore that you should, you know, vaguely be aware of if you want to be like, you know, sort of caught up on on the tales that you're you're experiencing. But uh, we'll 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 start we'll start at the beginning, the not quite the beginning beginning, but certainly pretty close, and that's the first era. Um, so eras in this game are sort of broken up into umbral and astral eras. And yep. the way that works is an umbral era is sort of the age directly um, after a calamity happens, which is basically any huge disaster that is sort of shaping the world in some way. Um, and then the astral era that follows it is the era after that disaster is kind of resolved and everyone's kind of rebuilding. This happens pretty frequently uh, on Eorzea. So frequently, in fact, that they have structured an entire system of time measurement around it. Um, yeah. It, it's... You can set your clock by these things. Yes. And so the first era doesn't really have a set date. Uh, the, the, the time scale of this is a bit odd it's it's shrouded in 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 a kind of mystery we don't get solid years until about the third era um but the for the first two first two eras it's very much this is like prehistory basically this is like before any resemblance of modern eorzea was formed at all but that doesn't mean important stuff didn't happen in the in these sort of shrouded mists of time yeah so in in the first era specifically you run into this situation where prior to this it's sort of called the age of the gods right and what that means we don't really know uh we just know that's like what it was called and then the age of man starts after this big wind element style calamity some some big wind happened and it caused all the gods to go away um and and then humans are like hey we're here during this time which is you know basically analogous to our world's paleo and neolithic periods um going into the agricultural revolution and and, and kind of the seeds of civilization um, a, a being appears known as, uh, the father of all dragons, Midgard Sormer, uh, the great worm, who yes. 
is the 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 sort of clutch father of what is known as the first brood a a sort of group of extreme extremely powerful dragons who sort of fly out to all corners of the planet yes and they all sort of establish their own little like nests and some of them kind of just keep to themselves uh whereas other ones found entire societies like uh you have a bunch of dragons who sort of founded a society in dravania which is on the continent of eorzea and then you have some dragons who went really far south and they founded um maricidia which is like a whole different thing yes we should yeah st- dragons are everywhere now we should say also uh sort of the the geography of this is that there are what is called the three great continents um eorzea is kind of in the middle of of that it's kind of this this large landmass in the center of the planet so the north is a a a, a continent named is that ilsebard yeah that's ilsebard ilsebard is to the north to the south which is the the area we know the least about is maricidia um, we basically don't know anything about this area or the, the peoples that inhabit it. Yeah, we, we know that Maricidia is basically considered to be the dragon continent, or at least it was. Uh, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that later. So, uh, yes, as... The as the era goes on and, and civilization begins to grow, of course, this brings the advent of wide scale wars. Yeah, so people invent technology during what is called the time of stone and fire, and very shortly after discovering technology, they're like, "Hey, wait, we can make we can make swords," and then everyone proceeded to immediately beat the snot out of each other with them. So, this is where we enter the Second Umbral Era. Whatever calamity befell the world in this age had uh, was aspected to the element of lightning. What that means, we don't really know. Um, but well, well, we know we know at least that sort of the thing that ended up kicking it off was uh, a really big volcanic eruption, and that sort of sparked this like series of mega thunderstorms and uh and presumably a big portion of why uh this happened was from all of the constant like mining of resources to make more swords to hit each other with yes uh actually this seems a little bit like oh what is that there's a theory in anthropology about a enormous volcanic eruption about uh i don't remember how long ago like fifty thousand years ago that brought the total amount of living humans on the planet to an area between five thousand and ten thousand individuals Um, oh right i yeah i think i know what you're talking about actually uh because there is a like severe genetic bottleneck that people have found when studying fossils and, and other stuff. And so they believe that there was an event, a cataclysmic event that very nearly wiped out early humanity. And this seems to be sort of analogous to that because after this cataclysmic volcanic eruption, 
a plague swept through the ruined land and uh, caused humanity's numbers to dwindle. However, because of this, it is believed that magic was born in this era out of humans' desperate prayers. Yeah, everyone got real, real sad and started praying and inventing religion and uh, developed magic. And because of that, everyone immediately was like, all right, this religion thing works really good. We're all going to have religions now. Thus, the second astral era. Which we don't know much about other than that this is the age of theocracies, where instead of kingdoms and and military might, uh, society was organized around religions. Yes, also steel is invented, apparently. Steel is invented. Unfortunately, when you have a lot of various states with a lot of various religions, uh, things can happen. And so during the Third Umbral Era, a lot of holy wars and witch hunts happen. Yeah, it turns out that if you have like a ton of people who are all like fanatical zealots... Eventually, there's going to be some disagreements between them, and they're going to have a really big fight about it. And uh, everyone just started starving to death because they stopped bothering to farm and decided that it's just it's war or nothing, baby. Let's go. Let's let's take out these non-believers. And you may wonder, well, what is the calamity during this era? Well, uh, it was fire aspected, and apparently, what happened was that the sun swelled in size, scorching the land. Yeah, apparently, apparently the sun went into red giant mode. I don't know how that happens or how they fixed that because it's normal now. Yeah, it's not a weird sun. It's a very normal sun. So, I whatever happened there, we don't know what how it was dealt with, but it uh, it did quite a number on the world. So this is where we enter the third astral era, and this is where we see begin to see some hard numbers because finally this era contains one of the most important uh, civilizations within the lore of final fantasy 14 and that is the allegan empire yes so allag is allag is interesting allag sort of takes up this role it's like a very atlantis style civilization in that it's like this mysterious like quasi proto culture style thing that took over like the whole world and basically had like crazy super technology and they just vanished uh like very 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 suddenly and they also like they took over the world really quickly so it was it's sort of an Alexander situation a little bit. So around 6000 years ago, the Allegan Empire suddenly rose to prominence and built incredible wonders, you know, things beyond imagining. Their 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 level of technology is sort of in almost incomprehensible when compared to everything that came before it. And everything um, that came after it also. Basically nobody's ever gotten as good as these guys. So Alag's expansionism did not was not limited to Eorzea. Eventually, their sights turned to the southern continent of Mericidia, where uh, they they fought against the the dragons of that continent. 
and various other things. But the important thing to know about that is that this is where they met Bahamut, who is, of course, another Final Fantasy mainstay, often known as the King of Dragons. Yeah, he's a big, angry dude, and uh, the Alligans saw that and were like, ooh, we like, we like how strong you are. We're going to put you in a sphere. They found a way to power their technology, power their civilization using these sort of captured beings, Bahamut being one of them. And in fact, they're, they are so advanced that they were able to put something in space. And that thing in space is the minor moon Dalamud. So they launched Dalamud into space for reasons that we will learn later. Um, it, uh, it, it was basically what it contained. We will, we will reveal soon, but basically Dalamud acted as a gigantic solar battery, uh, powering this vast Magitech empire, uh, from high above. Yeah. But and also specifically the 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 clown tower, the the big circus tower, the crystal tower that uh, sort of sat as the throne kind of of uh, of Alag, which was a giant solar battery basically. Yes, the crystal tower was built by uh, their first emperor, a man known as Zandi. Uh and sort of, what? Well, yeah, it was the seat of Allegan power for a thousand years. But, as we said, nothing is forever, and Alag was wiped off of the face of the Earth by a massive earthquake. Uh, Dalamud remains floating in stasis, with no one knowing its true nature. Uh, it, it begins to be known as the Minor Moon, or, uh, let's see, what is it? Memphina's loyal hound, uh, because it is sort of orbiting around uh, the star's real moon, uh, Memphina. It's sort of a moon's moon in this way. And the only traces of Alag were the the various pieces of, of shattered Magitech scattered all across the land, and the now dormant Circus Tower. Um, which perhaps still hides some remnants of the old empire within it, but that'll be perhaps. for another time. Well, we'll we'll have to we'll have to learn that uh, over the course of the game. But uh, but yes, that's that's the end of Alag. A big Earth aspected calamity happens, and you'll notice all these calamities are like themed. These are themed apocalypses. Yes, they are all sort of aligned to one of the elements of this world, which are, I believe, fire, water, wind, lightning, earth, and ice. Uh, Yes. And then there is also dark and light, which are the more esoteric elements that are sort of outside of the sphere of a physical uh, influence. Um, yeah, those those are really more categories than anything, but that's a bunch of stuff that uh, that the game like explains later and gives you like a whole PowerPoint on. So this begins the fourth Umbral era. Uh, the remains, all all, all of Alagan civilization is completely destroyed, and technology 
reverts to pre-Alligan levels, which basically means, like, uh, medieval uh, era technology, I would guess, judging yeah. by the third era. This this and, is this is pretty much like the post fall of Rome medieval era, like uh, analogous to that, right? Like you got all these Roman ruins around, but nobody really knows how an aqueduct works, so everyone's just kind of impoverished and living in a bunch of hovels. Now, importantly, this is where the beginnings of modern Eorzea are sort of seeded here, because. The, the Makote people, who you might know as, as those funny little cat folk, um, uh, arrive in Eorzea in the fifth Umbral Era, which was a vast ice age. And, yeah, the, uh, the age of endless frost. And they are descendants of uh, Allegan slaves, long, the, the, of a long-dead civilization. They cross into Eorzea over an ice bridge, um, and this will become important later. Uh, also, the Sanctum of the Twelve uh, in, in the forests of Gridania is constructed. The Twelve being the deities worshipped by the people of Eorzea. Um, yeah. Who are still sort of enigmatic. Yeah, they're still sort of enigmatic. There's There's a bunch of them. They're all like... Uh, they, they've all got sort of like a patron thing going on. Uh, Menfina, Menfina's one of them. Uh, you got, you got Naldfall, you got Ralder, just a whole bunch of guys. Yes. Uh, and this during the fifth astral era is when magic truly begins to flourish on Eorzea as, as people realize the power they wield and begin to sort of experiment with it and push their boundaries this is when well black magic is invented and there are people in a city-state called mahak that grow very powerful due to their ability to harness void scent who are basically demons they hail from a a a realm that is simply called the void which is a a sort of a, a purely like dark realm pretty much yeah Bad it's stuff. it's it's the dark it is, um, it is the dark and it's full of satans and the the black mages who who are now sort of in charge of and make up most of mahawk uh they they love those guys they love those satans meanwhile uh this the a, a kingdom named amdapur flourishes in in the uh, location that would soon become home to uh, Limsa Lamensa. Um, they invent white magic to oh, no, Am- the- Amdapur is actually in the Black Shroud. Yes, it's the, I I yeah, it's, it's it's the Gridanian area. Yes. So in Gridania there is a in, in the in the forests of the Black Shroud a a nation named Amdapur rises sort of in opposition to the mages of Mahak and invent white magic and then there's some guys in the city state of nim who talk to fairies yeah they invent books they love books they love books and fairies that's their thing and of course you may think wow that's a lot of different kind of magic that is out there in the world suddenly i wonder what could happen well about 1500 years ago the sixth un- the sixth umbral era uh, is sort of counted 
And the War of the Magi breaks out. Yeah, and it doesn't go very well for anybody. Basically, Mahak declares war on Amdapur and Nim simultaneously. Uh, a whole enormous amount of shit happens. Uh, Nim gets... Everyone gets turned into tonberries. By a mysterious plague. And eventually, all of this is ended by... A horrible overindulgence of white magic, which results in beings named called the Elementals, basically these sort of eldritch things that that kind of embody nature, uh, doing a flood, doing a great flood. Yeah, the Elementals live in the Black Shroud, the forest where Amnipur sort of comes from. They're not especially cool guys. They're pretty not nice most of the time. They're like indifferent to not nice. And uh, they taught the Amdapuris all about white magic. And when they saw that the white magic was being used to wage a huge giant war, they were like, "Mm, I'm just going to kill all of you now. Uh, And they did like a whole Noah about it. And you may think, well, what... If this is a great flood situation, shouldn't there be some kind of arc? Well, there was. There was. It didn't go very well, but that's something you can learn about in in a, in another raid series. Well, there was another arc. Because while there was a, another certain arc that, that tried to escape this deluge, uh, someone else knew about it as well. Uh, there was a Rogadin scholar named... Hmm... Nurenkempf. Yeah, Nurenkempf, who was who foresaw the Great Flood and decided he needed to preserve some knowledge and people. So you do what you do in that situation. You build an ark. Yeah, you and build a big funny boat. They sailed this deluge and eventually ended up on distant islands from the Old World, which I presume is sort of the northern part reaches of uh, of Eorzea there. Um, and they founded what would eventually become Charleian, a, a, a the capital of, of knowledge and, and sort of academic thought uh, in the world of Eorzea. Yeah, they this is this is sort of elf college town, uh, the the sort of origins of that. So that's that's where that's where all of those guys come from. All those all those uh, collegiates that we meet over the course of the game. As a result of the War of the Magi, black and white magic is outlawed because yeah, it immediately banned. Well, it just kind of ended the world, so it is sort of understandable. Yeah, uh, red magic gets invented by another culture. At around this time, because it's sort of understood by everybody that we can't use white or black magic by themselves anymore, because that's way too disruptive and bad, and people will just start trying to kill each other again. Um, but we do still need magic, so the the sort of compromise is that everyone learns how to be red mages. And that seems to work okay for a while, until they all sort of disappear, and we don't really know why. So this begins the Sixth Astral Era, which is the era immediately preceding the events of Final Fantasy 1.0, the original plotline of this game. So this is where a lot of the most 
uh, consequential stuff to the main story happens, and thus we will not really be going into much detail. All you'll need to know is that around around, uh, let's say 1200 years ago, Ishgard is founded. Yeah, Ishgard gets founded, and the Dragonsong War starts, and they just kinda sit in Quirithus, having a war for a thousand years. That's that's normal. It's fine. The war ebbs and flows, there are periods of relative quiet, and then there are periods where Nidhogg, one of the first brood, um just sort of unleashes hell on Ishgard. And this yeah. goes on for a thousand years. It goes on for a thousand years, and it's just it's just sort of unpleasant. I, I wouldn't live in Ishgard. As a result, uh, Dragoons become an incredibly important part of Ishgardian military, as they are specifically trained to fight and kill dragons. Yeah, they get, they get taught how to jump really, really, really high and use a spear. So... Around 800 years before uh, the events of 1.0, a, a kind of, uh, there was, there's a shipwreck. Yes, the, uh, in, the great in, ship Galadian. And a, the, the, the crew take the Galadian and, and build the state of Limsa Limsa out of its shattered remains. Um, and two of the of the uh, the helmsmen of the Galadian are tasked with uh, exploring the surrounding lands, which eventually became known as Lanosia. By the way, one of this guy, one of these dudes' names is Guy Lathagrin. This guy's name is Guy. Yeah, that's like there's just some guys named Guy. Um, and around the year 900 ish, uh, this dude named Koinak. Uh, he discovers Atlantis is real, and by Atlantis I mean Alag. Uh, up until that point, I guess nobody really knew if Alag was real or not. He found he found it around uh, in, in somewhere between the range of ten twenty two and ten seventy two. Uh, the the people of Gelmora sort of work with the elementals to found the city of Gridania. Yeah, Gal- also, Gelmora was like this. Uh, all the all the Gridanians lived in holes and hovels in the ground before the elementals finally let them come up and live on the regular ground. In addition, the Ixal sort of appear in the Black Shroud, which is strange because usually the myriad tribes of uh, Eorzea were already there. Yeah, the Ixal just kind of appear. And nobody really knows where they came from. This would, of course, start a sort of territorial conflict with the burgeoning city-state of Gridania that extends to this day. You know yeah. how it is. Yeah, sometime relatively around here, or a little bit beforehand, uh, Old Da also gets founded, but I'm not totally sure the history on that one. I was trying to find it, and I, I didn't... I couldn't find a lot on, on Old Da's history, actually. I know there was, like, a second city, but... Yeah, Silda. Yeah, there was Silda, and they had, like, a war about that. Um, but other than that, I'm not really sure what the deal with, with Old Da's past is. Yes, and so, ultimately, Old Da is, is founded in the desert, uh, and, you know, they do Old Da'n things for a while. Um, however... Around 1311, 
you know, sort of Charlene begins sending out expeditions and they eventually sort of gain a foothold in northern Dravania. Yeah, they set, uh, they set up a colony. They set up a colony. It is a research outpost that sort of slowly grows into a colony. Yeah. Uh, officially declared so in the year 1361 of the Sixth Astral Era. Yeah, and it sort of becomes this, like, really big center of learning in Eorzea. Like, uh, up until this point, um, Charlene was obviously where, like, everyone went to become, like, really highly educated, but it was very difficult to, like, make that journey. But now that they were actually on the continent... Um, it was much easier for people of Eorzea to, like, go and get their Archon degrees from Archon College, which is how most of the people that you end up meeting in Final Fantasy XIV who are Archons got their Archon College degrees. Yes. Around 1422, sometime a little bit before that, uh, the Elementals banished the Ixal from the Black Shroud. For unclear reasons, it's probably just the Elementals being weird nature spirits um, yeah uh they also incidentally uh the the ixel at some point lose the ability to fly uh over anything other than really short distances and they invent the airship which everyone immediately proceeds to steal and say they invented it instead yep uh around the year 1472 nidhog is going through one of his phases and, you know, Dragon Song War, it's still going. It goes for a thousand years. It's going for, going for a hot minute. Don't worry about it. Um, about 15, uh, year 1500, give or take. Uh, this dude named King Manfred, who's in charge of Alamigo, who uh, that's that's the sort of kingdom that lives in this kind of northerny desert portion of, uh, of Eorzea called Girabania. And, uh, but he, he's in charge of that kingdom and he decides, I really want to take over the forest. So he starts the autumn war. Yes. He attacks Gridania. Uh, and you know, if you live in a desert kingdom, forest probably looks pretty good. Gridania, uh, sort of asks for the help of the other two great city states of Eorzea. Uh, and this kind of marks the beginning of the Eorzean alliance, uh, the combined forces of Olda, Limsa, Lamenta, and Gridania managed to uh, defeat uh, the Alamegan army and sort of force them into a retreat. Um, this is also where the common currency of Gil was introduced to kind of promote trade and closeness between the three city-states, who up until this point had been very, very separate. Yes, this this is kind of the, the the foundation for their like diplomatic involvement with each other, which is it can get pretty shaky sometimes. But on the whole, this is where they sort of create sort of a common society. Now, the year is fifteen thirteen, and in the cold reaches of Ilsebard. A man named Solus Galvis sparks the Magitech Industrial Revolution. Now, there's a few missing steps here. So there, let me, let's talk about the Garlean Empire, which is the main antagonistic force over the course of the majority of this game's story. 
Yes. So the Garleans are interesting. You have a lot of different types of human in the world. You've got your hearers, you got your Makote, which are obviously the cat people. You've got, you know, your your Aura, which are kind of your lizard humans. You've got it's like you got the the Rogadin who are big. You got big big uh, you got the Lalafell who are small, and you got mm. the uh, uh, the Viera. You got the Viera who are the funny rabbits, uh, and there's like a few other types of humans kicking around, Padgel, etc. But the Garleans in particular have a very specific thing going on, which is that they have absolutely no ability to perform magic. As a result of this, the sort of Garlean people were basically just shoved around by everyone else for a very long period of time. Um, the sort of main distinguishing factor for Garleans is that they have this keratinous growth in the middle of the forehead that is usually called the Garlean third eye. It's kind of like a weird horn uh, that pokes through their forehead. It's a weird horn that pokes through their forehead and apparently gives them super, like, like it's not like echolocation. It's like really heightened senses that make them particularly good at using guns. Which is a good thing because this random guy named Solus Galvis sort of uses these remains of old Alag to spark a, a new Magitek revolution and suddenly... The, these people of Garlemald, who are, you know, these 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 relatively powerless, poor folks stuck on this, like, frozen rock, basically, uh, can contend with everyone else militarily. Yeah, they also, coincidentally, the place they kind of got driven into was the, like, biggest oil deposit in the world, uh, which was really convenient for all their things that need oil now. Yes, they discover Ceruleum and its ability to make Magitek what run good. And immediately, they begin flexing this military might. Uh, they conquer all of the rest of Ilsebard. And they also conquer the sort of eastern-ish part of the continent named Authard. Um, they attack and conquer uh this you know they're they're expanding rapidly they they are they basically immediately declare war on like the world and take over a pretty solid chunk of it uh which you know it it doesn't and it doesn't take them very long like it really really doesn't it only takes them like like 30 years to basically take over the majority of the known world and about 30 or 40 years later um, they are edging ever closer to Eorzea proper. During this time, uh, Alamigo is ruled by a, a complete and total despot. And you, you know you're a bad king if your nickname is Theodoric, the King of Ruin. Yeah, this dude... That's bad. Yeah, this dude's a bad customer. Um, he was considered, like, they, they called him the Mad King... The King of Ruin, the guy who fucked up everything, all kinds of nicknames. Uh, he basically ruins the whole country, um, and he also goes out of his way to like 
try and kill every single monk in the whole country, um, and he very nearly succeeds at that. Yes, Alamigo had a proud tradition of warrior monks who followed the the teachings of Railger, one of the Twelve. And Theodoric basically had all of them uh, slaughtered, save very few survivors. Uh, the, the fists of Railger were basically thought completely extinct. During this time, the Garland Empire conquers the nation of Doma, uh, which is, sort of sits... Is that on Authored? I always forget. It's on it's, Authored. It's on Authored. It's the southern uh, end of, of Authored. That's where um, Yangsha is, which is the sort of region that Doma sits in. in Basically a, in Japan. A, in a very bloody conflict, uh, the, the shogun is deposed. I forget, do they have a shogun or is he just a lord? Uh, he's an emperor, actually. The right. Doma Doma gets gets occupied and taken over, yes. and uh, it's sort of bad news for all those people. Um, meanwhile, in Alamigo, uh, all the people. Uh, well, a couple of things happen. So one, people are pretty fed up with this uh, Theodric guy. They they really don't like him very much anymore. Uh, uh, particularly after he just like committed genocide. Um, they also discovered that red magic is a thing that exists again. It's It's been a while since anyone really knew what that was, and a bunch of people figure that out, and they're called the Crimson Duelists, and uh, they all know about theory, and they decide, hey, let's have a revolution. And they do a really, really, really good job of it, and basically overthrow the entire government, and everything's going great. Um, and then Gaius von Bailsar shows up and is like, hey, is anyone going to conquer this? And does not wait for an answer. Yes, Gaius van Bailsar. Now, he is another important figure. He is basically the the face of the Empire as it wages its war on Eorzea. Um, he conquers Alamigo and uses it as a foothold, as a staging base for future invasions of Eorzea. Meanwhile, in Ishgard, guess who's awake again? It's Nidhogg. He woke up and uh, uh, the other thing, he still really wants to kill a lot of people. So the Dragon Song War is back on. Yeah, just still, still Briefly. continuously going on. Um, Gaius is kind of halted in his tracks because somebody summoned a primal. We don't really know who, and we don't really know what primal it was. But somebody summoned something, and it made him stop for a bit. And he builds a really big wall about it. Yes, he builds Bale Star's wall to sort of. Seal away uh, Girabania and its and the territories that it, it leads to. Um, and we should talk a little bit about primals because they're also very important. Yes. So primals in this game are made through a process called summoning, which is kind of prayer, kind of not. It's kind of complicated, and it gets expounded on pretty extensively by the actual lore of the game, but the general Cliff's Notes version is that uh, if you get a bunch of people believing really, really, really hard, um, and then you have all of them do a special ceremony, you can basically just summon, like, kind of a god, like, basically a god... Yes, and the other thing about primals is that as soon as they are summoned, they instantly bend anyone in the vicinity to their will, and basically 
force them into serving that primal's interests, whatever that may be. Yes, uh, this is a process called tempering. Yes, and this is why it's a big, large problem. Yeah, it's, um, it's a big, large problem. Also, the other part of why it's a problem is because in order to do the summoning, you have to take energy from other places, and sometimes that's by, you know, having a bunch of, like, special crystals, but a lot of times it's just sucking up energy out of the earth, which is bad for, like, the environment. This is very... It's not very good for the environment. So, meanwhile, while all of this is going on, well, ba- Gaius and Balesar is, is building a wall. Over in Charlian, uh, there is a man, an old an old fellow named Louis-Sois Leveilleur, who has decided he doesn't much like Charlian's sort of way of doing things. He considers them too closed off, too too isolationist. He wants to go out there and do something. Yeah, he he decides that Charlayan's sort of efforts are really not not enough cuz cuz Charlayan basically after the situation Alamigo is like, "Okay, okay, okay. We're going to draft up a nice peace treaty for you all and I just want everybody to sign it and then we'll all be good, okay?" And both sides just kind of looked at them like, "What the fuck?" Good go away and then they were like all right you got it chief and they just sort of decided to be isolationist forever and louis swa is not really satisfied with that he you know he's like hey we're like the most advanced country in the whole world by like a really broad margin like we could probably do something slightly more productive than be really condescending to everybody so he creates a sort of little little group called the circle of knowing uh, because he sort of received a prophecy of the seventh umbral calamity, and you never want that to happen. Yeah, the world's been going pretty strong for the past, you know, 1500 years or so without a calamity, and it'd be pretty cool if they didn't have to deal with another one, because those are usually pretty bad. So a few years later, in 1562, uh, the Charlian colony is empty. Yeah, they just completely overnight, they everybody leave. just leaves. Because Charlian yeah. was like, eh, we don't really want to touch any of this. We we don't we don't want any part of this situation. We're just gonna leave. Meanwhile, <laughs> the Garlian Empire sort of identify an area of uh, uh, an area of Eorzea called Mordona as a kind of ethereal nexus a like kind of a perfect energy source to control to power the rest of their conquest yeah mordona is uh got a lot of aether and specifically and this is very important mordona has a lot of ceruleum in fact it's the primary area that you can get ceruleum in on the continent uh so if you're Garlemald and your entire war machine is reliant on a steady supply of the blue oil, probably a good idea to go take over the big area with blue oil in it. Now, this would be quite easy, normally. Except a Mordona is home to an area named Silver Tear Falls. Which just so happens to be the place where the father of dragons, Midgard Stormer, decided to say, take a really long nap. 
Yeah. And when a gigantic fleet of airships uh, headed by a massive dreadnought called the Agrius sort of flies over the skies of Mordona, he takes umbrage to this and uh, calls a gigantic horde of dragons from Javania to fight them. Yeah, Midgard Sormer gets woken up by a big commotion outside and decides, absolutely not, I'm trying to sleep over here and uh, just really wreck shop with this giant air fleet. Like, pretty much all of it gets destroyed. He, like, coils around the Agrius and just starts exploding it with his, like, big super evil dragon breath and uh it's it's going pretty well uh except unfortunately the agrius is full of very explosive oils um and they all blow up and kill him yes they kill him and leak ceruleum all over the goddamn place causing mordona's landscape to become irrevocably warped undergoing these mass crystallization which causes these huge spires of crystal to shatter the ground during all of this a village in the area is completely wiped out and in its place and its memory a camp called revenant's toll is established yes and revenant's toll uh is sort of like it's it's sort of the the main settlement in the area and uh We'll we'll get into this in the in the third episode of of the uh, Archon lectures, but there's like a kind of really cool thing that ends up happening over the course of 1.0, where it sort of grew into like a bigger settlement over time. Keep in mind, all of this is taking place 15 years before the beginning of a Realm Reborn. Yes. During this time, the echo sounds across the realm. The echo manifests and gives people visions. Of falling stars. Yes. And one of those people is you, the player character. And this is Warrior of Light. And and this situation, this this moment where the echo sounds out across the realm, this is the start of 1.0. This is when um like the actual playable content of the game uh begins. Around this time as well, Olda. Uh, decides to get real racist and uh, exiles quote-unquote beastmen, the myriad tribes of Eorzea, from their lands, thus causing a bit of uh, conflict with the... uh, Oh my god, I've forgotten their name. Lizard guys. The Amalja. Yeah, the Amalja. Causing a fair amount of consternation with the Amalja and various other peoples who they kick out uh, due to fear of, like, you know... These guys have a lot of weird gods that they summon sometimes, and the Garleans really seem to hate that, so clearly the answer must be, kick them out. Yeah, this definitely won't, you know, incentivize them to, you know, summon their gods to, like, help them in their hour of need or anything. I'm sure it will be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Garlemald is doing some weird shit. Yeah. They, they have learned of the true nature of the lesser moon as a gigantic battery and also maybe a cage for something. Yeah, maybe um, some sort of some sort of uh some sort of big hamster ball. And 
in a place called the Boja Citadel, experiments to sort of reconnect with Dalamudor are undergoing, led by a man named Midas Nangarlan, one of the most brilliant engineers of the of the Garlian Empire. Yeah, uh, father to Sid Garland, who you'll you'll meet him later. There's a Sid in this game. Things go uh, about as poorly as as can go. The lunar transmitter explodes and kills Sid's father and basically everyone else within a huge radius. Yeah, Bosnia um, Citadel is wiped off the map. It is a crater. And this event causes Sid to defect from the Empire. And join the sort of Eorzean alliance. Yeah, uh, and that's oh. that's sort of that's sort of how we get we get Sid uh, on the team here because uh, you know it's it it turns out when you just sort of completely evaporate an entire country, it's like it's pretty bad. It's not not great to do that. Over the next ten years, the sort of period of calm begins as Gaius van Belsar retreats to the other side of his wall to Alamigo to begin preparations for his true invasion, having been kind of cowed by the destruction of the Agrius. Um, during this time, the city-states are expanding their, their sort of sphere of influence, especially militarily, to try and keep crime down and keep everything under control while they wait for the Garleans to make their move. Yeah. This results in the formation of the Adventurers Guild. Yes. Uh, we also have a situation where um, Solus, who is now the Emperor, of course, um, Solus has decided that Eorzea is just too much trouble. Uh, they they're just they're they're making primals too much. It's just way too much uh to really care about bothering with. So there's this guy named Nail Von Darnus and he gets to go ahead to use something called Project Meteor to destroy basically everybody on the whole continent. Gaius doesn't really like it and neither does the emperor's grandson, but they aren't really in charge. <laughs> Yes. Uh, see, Gaius Van Balsar and Verisier Galvis would rather prefer if Eorzea was like kind of a usable land to conquer instead of a smoking crater filled with charred bones. Um, actually, it would probably just be more like a pit of molten rock. Yeah, just sort of a glowing, smoldering hole in the ground. And so they begin to work... Uh, to kind of secretly undermine this Project Meteor from happening. Yes. And then after this, this is when, like, the actual sort of plot of 1.0 sort of starts taking place. There's one more event that is vitally important. So in Old Da, some guy gets run over by a Goobu. That's true. That's a, and this is now, a surprisingly big deal. Vitally important. Now... This guy, who just happened to be a former Imperial spy, has a daughter, who is rescued by a, a songstress working in the parade, named Philomen. 
Um, this girl has the gift of the Echo. Uh, and upon realizing this, changes her name to Minfilia to hide her sort of origins. And forms an organization called the Path of the Twelve. Upon the advice of louis Levier, um, to kind of help gather people with the Echo and begin to try and understand how to use it to help the realm. And specifically how to use it to prevent the foretold seventh umbral calamity. Which, if I had to guess, probably involves the big nuke that Garlemald is making. Yeah, probably involves Project Meteor, probably involves the whole thing that makes A Realm Reborn happen. Um, But that's something we'll get into next time, because the story of how we actually get to the Seventh Umbral Calamity is actually pretty interesting. There's there's a lot going on there that I think really deserves some in-depth sort of examination. And, um, you know, obviously this is content that nobody can play anymore ever again. So we'll try to get into as much detail about that as possible when we get to it. Yes, obviously we didn't cover everything. Uh, we Any holes that may be there will, will be covered as we go through the game. But, you know, this game has a lot of lore. It's got like, a lot of lore. A lot of it. And it will keep happening. Um but 1.0, as shaky of a foundation as it was, is the foundation of what the game is now. Um, yeah, and, it, and for as weird as it is, honestly, it's got some cool stuff in it that I think is super worth like at least knowing about. Obviously, this one is very well known that upon launch in, what is it, 2010, 2011? I think it was 2010. This game was fucking panned it was absolutely hated like it was bad um it was bad it ran very poorly there was basically just a lot of really really bad decisions made sort of on the back ends that made the game a lot worse than it really had any right to be it it prioritized a lot of visuals over the ability for the game to run or play in a way that was satisfying or fun yes and another weird thing is that even though there's literally no way to experience the events of 1.0 because square enix will never make a like a orzia classic or whatever uh because it one it would be too much work Two, the people who made it really don't want to try and dig up those bad memories. And three, it probably wouldn't be very profitable. Like, WoW Classic exists because there are enough people who are nostalgic for the beginning of that game to justify the operation cost of running servers for an MMO. I honestly don't know if there'd be that much of a player base for, like, a Final Fantasy XIV classic. Yeah, like, certainly I know that there are some people who are really, who would love it, but that population is probably not quite that large. No, at the most, you'd get people who would play it as a curiosity, maybe do the story, but then would never play it again. Yeah. Um, And so, but yeah, the 1.0 before meteor is will be the subject of our final archon lecture here uh because it is all very important and we will meet 
most of the important characters that we will be journeying with uh, throughout the rest of this game there. Yes, we will. We will. We'll get to meet the whole. The whole. Uh, what will what will become the uh, the scions of the seventh dawn? We'll we'll meet all of these funny guys. We'll meet Louis Swa, uh, good old good old grandpa, and uh, and we'll have we'll have a whole a whole adventure about that through the realm of audio. Also, Manfilia's dad was named Warburton. Yeah, his name was Warburton. I, I'm, I'm gonna imagine. I'm gonna imagine he basically just sounded like Patrick Warburton. So that, that's information that you don't need, that no one needs, but it's very funny. It's pretty funny. But I think that will do so. us uh, for this for this particular Archon lecture. So until next time, when we delve into the the dark depths of what uh, what happened when when the moon falls, I've been one of your uh, lecturers, Nero, and I've been the other one, Jane. And we'll see you among the fields of Eorzea before the calamity. <laughs> <laughs>